0: Welcome to the Anti-Genocide Coffee Break, a multinational podcast. I am your host, Elisa von Jürgen and I am here with my co-host, Irene Victoria Massimino. Our technical producer is Rafi Zarzatian. You can find us at iraqproject.org and on Patreon, Spotify, and iTunes. We are back today with Burmese scholar and activist Maung Zarni, whom we hosted in Episode 8, to shed some light on, a, on recent events in Myanmar. There was so much to talk about back then that, we, that he kindly agreed to return to us for another podcast session. Last time we discussed the history of the Tatmadaw and of military rule in Myanmar, as well as Zarni's upbringing in Myanmar, his path to activism, and his thoughts about the relationship between scholarship, activism, and the truth. It was a wonderful podcast. You can find it on our platforms. And we are so thankful to be able to speak with Zarni again today. Welcome.
1: Welcome, uh, Zarni. Thank, <clears throat> thank you to, to you both.
0: We're but going to we... start at oh sorry.
2: Sorry, Idie. No, no, no. It's a pleasure to have you back, Zarni. It's such a pleasure. Thank you for agreeing.
0: Absolutely. So we're going to start with our news section, as always, and I will let Irena start with that.
2: Well, thank you, Elisa. I'll try to be brief, but, you know, we always have too many news, unfortunately. <laughs> Not very good news. True. Um, I'd like to start with the, the one that has been a little bit around. In social media, mainly, it was difficult to find actual news on this situation in big Western newspapers, I would say, but in newspapers all around the world. And it's about the restoration or the distortion of the Armenian legacy in Shushi, what is Mm. happening with the Mm. Kazanjetsov's Cathedral. Um, Unfortunately, I found this on the Jam News. Jam News is from Mm. Yerevan? It's an online uh, newspaper. And uh, the cultural destruction of Armenian heritage in the area of Nagorno-Karabakh has something that we've seen during the war and that maybe it has been repeating in this particular scenario. Um, I will read just a few paragraphs of this. Uh, The public is concerned about the fate of this cathedral in the city of Shushi, it ha- I will remind our, our listeners that Shushi is now, after the war, is now under the control of Azerbaijan. It's no, um, it's no longer under any Armenian control in this contested territory of Nagorno-Karabakh. Mm. And photos of the cathedral's dome uh, appeared as removed. Mm. As Azerbaijani authorities say they, uh, they stated that it was restoration work is underway in the cathedral. But because of what is happening, what has been happening during the war, and this uh, new control of Azerbaijan in this part of the Nagorno-Karabakh territory, the Armenians are concerned about a possible destruction of their cultural heritage. We will be talking about this a little bit more next week with with one of our uh, guest co-hosts, Luciana, that we already had here. And we'll talk about cultural genocide, which is an important part of, of uh, an important aspect we must discuss when it comes to genocide in general. Absolutely. And the other news is uh, on The Guardian. It was published on The Guardian. We've been mentioning the issue with refugees. We've been mentioning a couple of times in our podcast, and we'd like to follow up on this. Um, the headline goes, Reveal 2,000 Refugees Refugee Deaths are linked to illegal EU pushbacks. Mm-hmm. This was a, a Guardian analysis, actually the newspaper analysis. The Guardian finds that EU countries use brutal tactics mm-hmm. to stop nearly 40,000 asylum seekers crossing borders, not only in the Mediterranean, but in different borders after the context. And I'd like to highlight that we bring this issue of the refugees because refugees are usually a consequence of um internal conflicts mm-hmm. uh, are deeply related to genocide, to crimes against humanity, to wars to international conflicts as well and because there is this myth that the EU or the European community, the European countries, the European Union receives the most amount of refugees in the world, and that is not the case actually. Underdeveloping developing countries, we don't like that tag, but I have to use it, <laughs> under developing nations or developing nations are the ones that receive the most amount mm-hmm. of refugees. I'm sure you, most of you remember the case of, of Germany trading refugees with Turkey, uh, the Syrian refugees trading them with Turkey, uh, paying Turkey to keep the refugees in in. in in, in the areas, in the, in the different settlements or refugee camps in Turkey, they are um, in appalling conditions in mm-hmm. general. So this is a situation we would like to bring in, 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 in continue to follow up in our different podcasts. Uh, I'll just briefly read uh, one of uh, here of one of the parts of the of the article. It says recent reports suggest an increase of death of migrants attempting to reach Europe, and at the same mm-hmm. time. An increase of the collaboration between EU, EU countries and with non-EU countries such as Libya, which has led to the failure of several rescue operations. We brought that up, uh, I think, a couple of, of mm-hmm. um Podcast ago yep. on this research, yes, on this research that is being done actually in the in the prosecutor's office in Italy, and uh, in this context, deaths at the sea since the beginning of the pandemic are directly or indirectly linked to the EU approach, aid, uh, closing all doors to Europe and the increasing externalization of migration control to countries uh, such as Libya. So I guess will more information will come in the following in the following. Um, in the following weeks in the following months this is something that we've been quite in touch since our 2017 and i don't want to be too repetitive but it was because of the meeting with the pope and how he highlighted the importance of the protection of the refugees and the european countries were not doing enough i can remember i don't know ellie if you remember when was the agreement between germany and turkey uh, I don't remember or 2015 either.
0: 2015 2015. I can't remember now. I exactly think it was and 2016, but we'll have to think. check. We'll talk more about refugees on one of our future yes. podcasts. We'll mm-hmm. have to look into that. Yeah.
2: And uh, I, I think Doctors Without Borders, Medicines Sans Frontier stopped accepting donations either from Germany or EU mm. countries because of that agreement with Turkey. And I can't remember the terms exactly of the agreement, but it was to keep the refugees in Turkey so they wouldn't come to Europe, right? So this mm-hmm. is something we have, to, we have to talk about a bit more. Yeah, okay, so uh, I just looked it up, mm-hmm. it was 2016. Yeah. 2016, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, 2016, okay. So it was, it was before, but it was, it's a, it, there was a big influx of refugees mm-hmm. at that time going through from Syria and Iraq to the areas of, of uh, th- through Turkey and then, or the Caucasus region to um, then Europe. Um, so anyway, I hope we, we have, sh- we should have a special maybe on on refugees and the issues of refugees covering this, this topics. What happened in the past and then the forgotten ones now. Yeah. And the different refugee camps in, uh, what was it called? The Calais jungle.
0: Remember uh-huh, that one? Exactly. Yeah, in the southern then... France. Then Dismantle. destroy, dismantles destroy. without anywhere for the refugees to go. Exactly.
2: Unbelievable.
0: So, unbelievable. Yeah, it is so, unbelievable. And as you said, the Pope, yeah, is so worried, was worried, is worried. I imagine still now as from his public statements is now yeah. still worried. And he likened it. The link with genocide is that he likened their 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 position to sort of unwanted people's That the world is just allowing to die so it's kind of a passive form of generalized genocide so when you're a refugee um you or you know a migrant right Mm -hmm. i don't like that term so much right most people are economic Mm -hmm. refugees when they are migrants right Mm -hmm. um but yeah that you just are sort of unwanted in the world and as that you are disposable Mm-hmm. And we exactly. have this, we have this like ballooning number of disposable people in the world, um, yeah. which has become kind of a form of omnicide. Really terrible.
2: Exactly. I i always, give, it's about maybe 80 million at the moment. Yeah. I mean, I, and it's just a number, but I like right. to say because it's a huge number it's and impacts huge. people. It's yeah. twice the size of uh, Argentina, for example, yeah. twice the size of the population of right. my country, almost, right? So its it's to put in numbers, although it, removes the identity of each individual but it does a little bit it gives perspective yeah. on the amount of people that are helpless in right. the world today in right. this condition in refugee camps that have not that not cover the basic needs of mm-hmm. the people that have no clean water not toilets not proper toilet not proper health uh, assistance not proper food not education I mean, it's, it's it's a very, very difficult reality. We, we've seen it in Iraq, and it would be nice to talk more about this in, in a special on refugees. Yeah. To give it? them
0: a little voice through us,
2: right? Mm-hmm.
0: Exactly. And maybe get some folks that we mm-hmm. know who are refugees to speak with exactly. us. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To speak with us, certainly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank Wonderful. you. So that's it. Thanks, Irina. I'm also going to try and be brief. One is there's a coronavirus update from India. This is from CNN. Um, uh, Recently, the Indian Institute of Science determined or wrote a report that found that India could see more than 403,000 COVID-19 total deaths. And nearly 50 million total cases by June 11th of this year, if nothing is done. Um, And a model from the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation at the University of Washington has found that India could see more than 1 million deaths by the end of July. So India is entering a terrible phase of its own struggle against the coronavirus Uh, pandemic. Um, And this just goes to it's sort of an update on on one of our earlier episodes where we talked about the Mm -hmm. pandemic and inequality, and how inequality sort of fuels genocidal attitudes around the world about who is important, who isn't important,
2: exactly, which are decisions
0: Mm -hmm. that are based into how we organize our um, global economy. Right. Um, On that note, one good bit of news is that um, Biden, who was facing largely due to this kind of spiraling out of control of the pandemic in India, he was facing pressures Mm -hmm. to loosen or remove patents on vaccines. Um, and yesterday, according to the New York Times, he um, suspended patents on vaccines. So the headline reads: "Taking extraordinary measures, Biden backs suspending patents on vaccines." The Biden administration siding with some world leader leaders over U.S. Phar- the phar- U.S. pharmaceutical industry, and that's a rare decision to make to take mm-hmm. on the U.S. pharmaceutical Certainly. industry, mm-hmm. right? Uh, The Biden administration came out in favor of waiving intellectual property protections for coronavirus vaccines. Um, The United States, they note, had been a major holdout at the World Trade Organization over a proposal to suspend some of the world economic body's intellectual property protections, which could allow drug makers across the globe to access the closely guarded trade secrets of how the viable vaccines have been made. Um, So he came under increasing pressure to throw his support behind the WTO proposal, which was drafted by India and South Africa. South Africa is another country that's facing um, terrible months in terms of the pandemic. And it was uh, supported, their draft was supported by many Democrats in the United States, in the U.S. Congress. so, this is really wonderful, I think that Biden has suspended those uh, those those protections those patent protections on these vaccines, so that and hopefully that will increase the number of vaccines in the world and, and make them more available to to people outside of the global west right? the global north or whatever we want to call it. Um, okay, oh, yeah, so whatever. that's it's difficult. That's <laughs> difficult, well, isn't it? The developed to... countries. I don't
2: know what. Yes, or developing. It's too, difficult. it's too difficult. Sometimes once and it's sometimes once tries to be too politically correct. Right. And That's also impossible. <laughs> <It's>
0: really <laughs> yes, difficult. Right. So but the I, rich I would...
2: countries. I guess I don't know what yeah, we the call the rich them. and the poor. Right. <laughs> that would be too stigmatizing, too. <laughs> right, exactly. Maybe our subscribers and listeners can can suggest can suggest words. That's we're, a good we're open idea for suggest- suggestions.
0: Yes suggest the nomenclature that we use on our program that would be great because we don't like any of them (laughs) they don't capture the reality that's the problem no they don't
2: they don't in some cases what would be considered economically underdeveloped are developed in other ways and 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 the other way around and the other way around exactly that economically developed might be um In other places, in other aspects, like socially underdeveloped, so certainly, well, the U.S. and the health system problem—that's totally—it looks like a problem from from an
0: underdeveloped country, right? Precisely.
2: Yeah, the lack of access to health
0: and everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and this kind of huge gap between rich and poor characterizes so many nations around the world that it's hard to talk of rich nations and poor nations because many of the so-called poorer or developing nations have a very wealthy elite at the top that are well plugged into the global economy running things, right? So (laughs) it's sort of difficult to... Yeah, so there are all sorts of difficulties in these words. These words hide more than they expose, right? Right? Exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> I would say that in Latin America, that happens. A, lot. That happens, right? a very wealthy elite, <laughs> when
2: then the majority of people are suffering. Yeah. Yeah. And then, same in India. That mm-hmm, you're, you, know, mm-hmm. you just brought this news on India. It's the same. Some of yeah. the richest people in the world are in India. It,
0: that's absolutely true. And the US is becoming more and more that way as well. So maybe yeah. we're seeing a kind of global shift, right? Uh, between elites. And everybody else, right? That's exactly. sort of le- le- that's leveling differences that you used to see across east and west, or or south and north, right? The develop and developing, right? Ordinary people are in the developing economies. <laughs> Maybe we the global elite we is the developed ones individuals in the developing economies
2: exactly mm-hmm, some yeah. people have made a lot of money out of the pandemic yeah. and oh,
0: so when the
2: true. majority of the world of the individuals have suffered a lot you know yeah. the education health assistance etc uh, losing jobs especially women right so yeah. it's true yeah. it looks like borders in that sense are no longer there it's just it's true reach people in the world and then the rest the rest aboard. and those who are trying to survive and not to fall in, you know, try not to fall into poverty. So it's it's exactly. a very difficult, complex world. Coming. It is a really, really
0: right. complex world. And then there are those that we just spoke about: refugees, economic migrants, displaced people mm-hmm. who, who are at the bottom of the barrel. Right? They have nothing. Not even a citizenship anymore. Many yeah, of them. exactly. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Certainly.
0: Yeah. Well, on that note, uh, my second article is from Al Jazeera from the fourth of May with the headline, Israel is trying hard to erase Jerusalem's Palestinians. This is an opinion piece written by Jalal Abu Qatar And I just want to read the first few paragraphs. He writes, yeah. he's writing from Jerusalem. For us Jerusalemites, it is frankly nauseating to hear commentators throw around cliches of cycle of violence, call for a return to calm, and generally engage in both side-ism, Whenever violent erupts, violence erupts here, and in the past few weeks, we have heard them yet again. There are no two equal sides in Jerusalem. The problem with these statements is that they whitewash the fact that Jerusalem is a city under violent occupation, and its occupier Israel has made its intent to slowly uproot the native population quite public. In this sense, violence is a permanent feature of the lives of Jerusalem residents, even when outside observers perceive the streets to be quiet. And it is not a matter of both sides de-escalating. The past year has been particularly violent for Palestinian Jerusalemites. The impact of COVID-19 on our community is dwarfed, by the effects of relentless harassment, arrests, home demolition, and displacement by the Israeli authorities, ultimately aimed at the ethnic cleansing of the city. No one should be surprised at the amount of anger Palestinians hold towards the Israeli occupation authorities in the city. Their encroachments on the rights of our community are endless and are directly responsible for any quick uptick in violence. And then he goes on to discuss what we've seen in some news outlets, but not covered well uh by, by any, at least in the uh in the US, any major uh news outlet. Uh he writes that such is the case with this latest violent episode which began in the first days of the holy month of Ramadan. Um, Ramadan is a special time for Muslims all around the world, but in Jerusalem the festive atmosphere is simply magical. It is a time when Jerusalemites, young and old, come together with friends and family, stroll through the streets of the city, buy sweets, drink coffee, and enjoy the light displays, impromptu music shows, and street performances. You would not see Jerusalem come alive late at night, during any other time of the year, it is a special experience that reflects the strong communal bonds amongst Palestinian Jerusalemites. And it is, of course, a favorite occasion for the Israeli authorities to harass Palestinians and spoil their festivities, and this year was no different. On April 12th, the day before the start of Ramadan, I walked down the steps of Damascus Gate into the old city to have my last hummus and falafel breakfast meal at Abu Shukri, before beginning the month-long fast. On my way, I noticed the first signs that the Israeli authorities were planning something. The space, benches, and steps around the Damascus Gate Plaza were blocked by metal barricades. Damascus Gate, with its three police garrisons erected in recent years, looked like a militarized encampment. There was no reason to set up these barriers at a popular Ramadan hangout spot, other than to upset the palestinians the reaction was immediate on the first day of ramadan april 13th a large number of number of young people gathered at the damascus gate to protest against the arbitrary actions of the occupier over the following days the protests grew as israeli provocations continued on april 22nd hundreds of extremist jews marched on the old city under the protection of the israeli police chanting death to arabs Palestinian youth were relentless in their resistance. 13 days into Ramadan on April 25th, the barricades fell. Um, we have seen, so I'm going to end my reading of his of his uh, opinion piece there. there. It will be on our website. And we've seen just the violence continuing, especially since then, especially in the Sheikh Jarrah neighborhood, a traditionally Palestinian neighborhood in East Jerusalem, uh, where 28 families are facing eviction from homes that they've lived in as families for generations. Um, we've also seen the Israeli authorities blocking um, Christians, Jerusalem Christians, from entering churches for Easter services. And so, um, so things in Jerusalem are really heating up around this issue of of coexistence.
2: Yeah. Um, I think this is. I mean,
0: I mean, we've already talked
2: about having a special on the Palestine conflict. Yes. I mean. And the situation of Jerusalem in particular, I'm thinking at the uh, the horrible move of Trump to move the mm-hmm. U.S. embassy to Jerusalem.
0: Yep.
2: It continues to be there, right? Yes. Con- yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. it continues to be there. We, Of course, our listeners know that Jerusalem was supposed to be divided in two and being, you know, is Jerusalem the capital of, of Palestine? And, and well, at the beginning was a city, a, a, a sort of an independent, right? Like mm-hmm. a, somehow an independent uh Place and it's a sacred city for Muslims, for Christians, and for Jews. It's a, it's an extraordinary place, and it's it's um, mm. sad that it has become like that. And East Jerusalem is mainly um, uh, mainly uh, Palestinians. Arab Palestinians live in its Jerusalem, and then it was supposed to become uh, the capital of the Palestinian state, um, and then West Jerusalem. Would continue to be in the hands of of of, of the Israel state, so I think it would be great if we could talk in depth about this and conflict that has been ongoing for so long and a conflict that that has a lot of of aspects to analyze yep. and 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 I think um, and that the international community sort of has naturalized the conflict and it's sort of. Mm-hmm we've learned how to live with it without really doing
0: anything to make it better that's right and so it just continues really in a sense Mm -hmm. to get worse exactly to get worse and worse yeah so i i agree we'll have we'll definitely have a program on that coming up Mm -hmm. so those are our news everybody out there (laughs) sorry to not have better news
2: (laughs) it's always difficult
0: it's always difficult we try to put a good energy,
2: but yeah. despite the good energy, they continue to be bad news.
0: Yeah, that's right. There's a lot of good people out there and a lot of bad news, right? <laughs> very, very, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that's the news. Thanks, everyone, for listening. So now we are back with Burmese scholar and activist Maung Zarni. And Irena, I'm going to hand the questions over to you. Sure. Thank you, Elisa. Thank you again. Um, Zarni. Uh,
2: last episode was fantastic. Uh, our last episode with you was great. Uh, I think our listeners, our audience will very much enjoy uh, listening to your path, uh, becoming, you know, from, a scho- from scholarship to activism. And then uh, listening about the history of the dog as well, something that um, in particular I can talk about myself. I I didn't know that much, but one of the questions where we were left is um, that uh, of course the Tatmadaw was in power for for many years. Um, We could maybe say that uh, democracy was an exception in Myanmar at least for the last 70 years, right? And one of the questions we had is how did the Tatmadaw lose that support that it had to be in power for so long? What has happened now? Evidently, it's probably in the actions of the Tatmado, but what else could you tell us, Zarni, regarding this? And, and how come a military power had so much support from the people at, at one point?
1: Well, of course, you know, no military institution uh, can rule any population at gunpoint alone. You know, power, <clears throat> power may comes from uh, the barrel of the gun, but you know, not for so long. But they have been in power since 1962, so that's mm-hmm. 59 years. Yeah. Uh, so you know, in different guises. Uh, but to answer your questions, how do they survive for so long? You know, and then uh, in in the last conversation, I talked about one particular general who have sing- <laughs> who single man- single-handedly molded these institutions from February 1949 uh, until his official resignation in July 1988. You know, that is you know how many decades there. Uh, but I think institutions and generals, they did not exist in a vacuum. They exist in historical, uh, you know, social, cultural and political context. And uh, that context uh, is really important to understand how this institution, you know, could become the most powerful institution. One is the, uh, the nature of the nation state, Burma itself, mm-hmm. yeah, and uh, I, I would say, despite uh, Burma having been in existence in different um, incarnations, uh, Burma, as we know it today, did not exist until after the dissolution of the British rule in Burma, which happened in 1947. As a matter of mm-hmm. process, and then, you know, formal independence was granted mm-hmm. in January nineteen forty-eight. Uh, the The nature of the country, well, it's nothing exceptional. If you look at, uh, you know, all uh, dissolved uh, colonial worlds—French, mm-hmm. uh, you know, German. Uh, uh, and most importantly for us, uh, the, the British colonial world, uh, uh, you see the, the nation state that emerged as the Union of Burma in 1948 was a, um, a collection of different ethnic communities, mm-hmm. you can say ethnic nations with their distinct linguistic, uh, political, and cultural histories. And, uh, you know, uh, with those, uh, those nations have their own, you know, different and at times conflicting historical memories. Yes. And so so mm-hmm. the, you know, the if you look at the map of Burma, you will see that, um, you know, the the dominant group that, you know, that is known as Burmese or Burmans, uh, from whom uh, the, the country's names, namesake came, uh, Burma. Uh, I, I belong to that uh, dominant ethnic community. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, obviously, you know, just like everybody else, every other group, we are not a quote unquote pure Burmese or Burmans. We're all mixed, but politically, our identification and mm-hmm. allegiance is to this ethnic label uh, called Burma, uh, Burmese. Mm-hmm. And uh, we occupy uh, the dry zone of the middle part of Burma and parts of the lowland. They're all like dr- flat lowlands. And they're also like coastal peoples uh, or you can say coastal nations um, as well as. You know, Highland nations, and so we've got about a do- you know a dozen or so different ethnic nations. When when Burma was created, one of the most fundamental promises or uh, principles uh, that have brought uh, these diverse groups of ethnic nations with their mm-hmm. own Political histories and uh, you know the, the future political visions. That principle was not human rights. It's a group equality, the mm-hmm. equality of ethnic groups. Yeah. And now, like we don't talk about self determination in this day and age very much, as much as uh, the human rights. But at the time mm-hmm. of the uh, anti colonial struggles self-determination was the reigning principle yeah and mm-hmm. then uh, uh, I think like a, a Monroe declaration the US President Monroe uh, you know uh, the, the the essentially uh, popularized and legitimized the notion that groups uh, must have the the right to self-determination. You know, this was uh, in you know around the turn of the century when Monroe mm-hmm. was uh, uh, U.S. president, and uh, that was uh, rather appealing to uh, you know colonized peoples around the yes. world. And mm-hmm. uh, th- in those days, like I said, uh, no one talked about human rights. People talk about because you know the, the mm-hmm. people were not colonized as individuals. It, you know, c- colonialism here is a bit pi- a bit like genocide. You know, like uh, the individuals are not uh, attacked or dominated simply on the basis of their individuality, but mm-hmm. because of their membership to, to the group. And so colonialism was a subjugation and domination of groups. And so group rights become or became extremely important or paramount important. And mm-hmm. so to, to return to uh, the Burmese Uh, Different ethnic groups in Burma. These groups were given a choice to stay on within the British Empire or to join hands with the dominant Burmese ethnic majority who were fighting for complete independence. So Aung San Suu Kyi's father, uh, the founder of the mm-hmm. tambor or military, uh, a Marxist revolutionary who looked at Soviet Union and who looked at the United States, two very, very different models. But these models did not have ethnicities as the foundational element, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Uh, at least in theory. Uh, interesting. And, yeah. and so, you know, it... it, it so Aung San offered uh, this group equality as the foundation for a new nation, yeah? and uh, and so the ethnic, uh, numerically smaller ethnic groups decided that this was the best way to go. Mm. Instead of going it alone as small communities, they would join with the larger population and 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 form a a I suppose you know, a bigger and necessarily more powerful and prosperous union. And that was the the foundational principle of Burma. What happened was that was after Aung San was assassinated, uh, you know, about... uh, Seven months before the actual transfer of power took place in January 1948, mm-hmm. uh, he was assassinated by a rival group of politicians, and mm-hmm. and his promise and uh, also, you know, it was uh, not simply a, a gentleman's agreement. It was written into the foundational document mm-hmm. called Panglong Treaty. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, the right to secession hmm. was explicitly mentioned uh, the right to self-determination and ethnic equalities were principles upon which a new nation was to be founded all of these you know foundations were basically destroyed you know after his uh, assassination hmm. so these principles were buried along with Aung San, uh, uh body yeah and so that was what gave the, uh, uh, the, the military leaders, you know uh, such ad, uh, an advan- advantageous position, because mm. when the promise was broken, the result was going to be discontent, to mm. put it mildly uh, on the part of those who felt violated, yeah. They joined with the uh, ethnic brothers called Burmese mm. or Burman mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. Uh, the, to leave the white colonial rule, and then the new rulers were just brown and their neighbors, but they behaved like the white man. Yeah, so that mm-hmm. that's the, so that was the context that Tambudov uh, found itself in a very, very strategic position, not just at one of many ministries. Tatmadaw or militaries were supposed to be just a ministry of defense, hmm. right? May one I, may of I many,
2: yeah, yeah, no, sorry, Zarni, may I interrupt you just, and pardon my ignorance, of course, was the Tatmadaw somehow involved in his assassination or were they complicit with this politically opposing group to him?
1: Well, I mean, there were some uh, speculations mm-hmm. as to the in involvement of uh, individual leaders like Ne Win himself. Mm-hmm. You know, yes. the, 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 mm-hmm. the, 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 the military campaign, form, Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the longest serving commander-in-chief uh, of the armed forces. Uh, but I think the I think to 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 me more uh, the the problem was neither the military leaders who were also nationalist revolutionaries, right? Mm-hmm. They were trained by the Japanese, nor the politicians who were also like revolutionaries who did not take up arms, or like communists. In the case of co- Burmese communists, they took up arms uh, against the uh, British and against the. Uh, mm-hmm. The, the the British uh, and Japanese fascists, but the problem was none of the Burmese military or politician, uh, political leaders, were committed to this idea of ethnic equality,
3: yeah? mm-hmm.
1: and and so so because Aung San was completely unrivaled in mm-hmm. his popularity with the public. Aung San could stare down any challenge coming from any quarter. Mm-hmm. He was so popular because he was the one who delivered, uh, you know, on the promise of independence. So his popularity could not have been mm-hmm. challenged. Mm-hmm. So, but when he was dead, uh, you know, it was easier to uh, destroy his vision. And, and uh, what I, w- uh, I was uh, I'm emphasizing, want to emphasize here is that when this situation that became so conducive to discontent and then when discontent could not be processed in the parliament, different ethnic minorities felt they needed to take up arms. You know, Mm -hmm. this famous cliche, you know, when peaceful change is no longer possible, you know, revolutions became inevitable. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so that's that Mm -hmm. is the trajectory uh, that Burmese uh, nation and the political state found itself since, let's just say uh, 1949. And so when you have. Different ethnic groups taking up arms or when you have, uh, you know, a strong uh, communist armed movement the Ministry of defense became extremely Mm. Important yes, yeah, because uh, the the politicians could not control territories or provide law and order only the military could do those things and so that was what put the Tamadol in an exceptionally powerful position. And so since, you know, in the er formative years after independence, Tamadol never submitted itself for oversight. Mm. And the politicians, you know, had nominal civilian control Mm. over this institution, but the the elected officials were in no position to seriously mount any challenge uh, you know against the military's decisions you know that includes uh, uh, the budgetary decisions and uh, they did not open their books to uh, you know general accounting office they mm-hmm. had their own internal audit that was it and and also you know finally on this issue because at the 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 dominant population were nationalistic and to a an extent I would say uh, racist towards uh, mm. other non minor uh, non dominant groups, groups. Mm. so yeah they they invested confidence in this institution yeah you know, they, they profited
2: from it mm-hmm. yeah
1: they transfer you know the early wave of uh, Admiration and respect they had for this very first national armed organization hmm. since the loss of uh, the the last kingdom about hundred and twenty years ago, so they transferred their admir- admiration and respect onto this new military hmm. and and uh, and so the Tamador also never really uh, harmed the local a Buddhist majority population unless they happen to be communists, Then, mm. of course, you know, communists were fighting against the central government. So the communists were considered enemies of the state. And also the, because they were communists, they were portrayed as uh, enemies of Buddhism. Yeah? Mm. And, and so uh, the, that was how Tamador gained a widespread support and popularity you know, in the eyes of the majority dominant Burmese, Tamadol was defending the territorial integrity of the country, uh, sovereignty from, you know, a communist and and whatnot. This is, and and of course, like, you know, the Tamadol gradually recruited very heavily from the Burmese dominant group. And so uh, that, that, you know, and, and of course, like if you are identifying yourself mm. with this institution, when it became the military dictatorship, uh, the military became the largest uh, employer uh, in the country. Mm. So every, mm. I would say every Burmese Buddhist family has uh, one, at least one relative or family mm. member uh, in this institution. So it, it was like a, a, a amoeba, like a creature. It absorbs everything, yeah,
2: mm, uh, mm. A, until yeah, like a spider web. I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, like exactly. expanding and. And one question, Zarni, that I'm also interested in is: is where the communist group uh, formed by different ethnicities? As you mentioned, that the Burmese is also like a political identity, not only an ethnic ethnic identity. So, who were the communists in the majority, and are there still now a, a strong communist? Is there still a co- strong communist group in in Myanmar?
1: um We don't have uh, a co- uh, the communist uh, party anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the both the uh, uh, socialist party that uh, uh, used the. Dumbledore as its backbone and uh, the the Burmese community uh, Communist Party collapsed, uh, you know, essentially about the same time around Mm -hmm. the time of the 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 collapse of the Berlin Wall, you know, Mm -hmm. 1988, 89. And so But we do have uh, a strong progressive tradition, but the communism uh, will uh, very Least likely, uh, make a comeback in a place like uh, Burma, you know. And, and the the same goes with socialism uh, as well. You know, people may subscribe to progressive values, but these uh, labels are no longer uh, attractive or in uh, or uh, acceptable. Yeah. Hmm. And hmm. Uh, but the the who are the communists? Well, I think most Burmese nationalists, uh, you know, overwhelming majority of Burmese nationalists were communist or some kind of leftist we have a saying you know uh, the, 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 the you know the, it, the 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 nationalists were uh, you know either flaming red or pink or any shades in between pink and red and 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 it has <laughs> a reason for that because uh, you know these and then also there are nationalists who were uh, looking backward and wanted to bring back uh, the old glorious feudal kingdom that never existed. Mm. Uh, and also, there were also right wing, you know, uh, the, uh, nationalists who looked to, you know, the, uh, the, the capitalist West uh, US and other places as mm-hmm. the model. And so there are different uh, varieties of uh, uh, Burmese nationalists and nationalisms. But, but the, I would say the overwhelming majority of Burmese nationalists are, you know, leftist, and 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 and, and mm. the, the 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 main explanation behind this is, uh, uh, it lies in the fact that only, Marxist and variants of Marxist analyses, offered, uh, you know deeper understanding of colonialism mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah?
1: Right. and then liberalism does not offer analytical power to understand uh, <clears throat> the, uh british colonial rule mm-hmm. yeah? and so yes. that's why like you know the uh, the communism was attractive and then Aung San himself was uh, one of the earliest founders of the uh, burmese communist cells and also we mm-hmm. were or I should say, like, they were looking at uh, two different strands, or basically three different strands of uh, uh, communism. uh, In those days, actually, uh, uh, you know, the uh, the Indian communists, uh, the Soviets, and then later, you know, uh, the Chinese communists, you know, uh, Mao and his group. Hmm. But the the Burmese communists were very much uh, uh, connected with the Indian communists, you know, more so than... Say uh, <clears throat> the Soviets, hmm. uh, because mm-hmm. we, we were at one point uh, uh, ruled by the British as part of the uh, Indian, uh, ah. you know, uh, the uh, British Empire in India. India was the crown colony, the largest and mm-hmm. most lucrative enterprise for the British. And so we were annexed, uh, you know, bits by bits into India because we shared. About uh, you know the thirteen hundred miles long borders with India, mm-hmm. so it, yeah. it was a, you know a bit of an administrative uh, convenience, and uh, also you know strategic uh, uh, expediency. So the 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 communists were uh, you know not just Burmese, the the, uh, the other minorities Shan, uh, you know uh, the Highlanders, uh, the Khrans, they were also attracted to. Uh, leftist ideology, you know, because mm-hmm. the, the overwhelming majority of the Burmese uh, the, during the colonial uh, the period uh, uh, were either laboring classes, if you will, hmm. or uh, agricultural classes, and so when you have a large population of agrarian and working class people, uh, that yeah. this kind of egalitarian uh, the, the system of explanation, uh, the, you know, uh, the, uh, had massive attraction. And and even, you know, even in the United States in the 1930s, after strong market crash, uh, the, you know, the, the Communist Party uh, that had a really strong showing in uh, mm-hmm. uh, elections in the USA. It's true. I mean, mm-hmm. like it's uh, it's, uh, it's unthinkable if you don't know history of U.S., you know, in the <laughs> 1930s, the uh, the you know thirty or forty percent of the Americans were like uh, car carrying members of the uh, U.S. Communist Party. Mm. I mean, it's mm. unthinkable now. You know what I mean? <laughs>
2: absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Even even less in the seventies when it started all over the world to try to eliminate communism right. <laughs> from the face of the earth. Yeah, totally. Well, it, it's it's it's
1: not not because I. <laughs> It is not the ideas that, that have power. It is the the context. You know, when people are poor, they will want to, things to be equal. When people are rich, they they want things for themselves. <laughs> simple, you know
2: what I mean? simple. Yes.
1: You know, it, it's it, very simple. It, yes. you, you cannot eliminate uh, uh, people's desire to to, to have a uh, you know uh, uh, to have a meal on the table. And yeah. if if egalitarian systems of thought. Uh, offers that promise uh, that people would always find it attractive.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Certainly, true. <laughs> very true. Mm-hmm. So to follow up on what you're saying, um, so the the what I hear is that the military, the Tatmadaw, then became associated with stability in in uh, Myanmar, the, but... and that's that's sort of how you wrote a great op-ed in which you called it here, I'm going to pull it up, where you um, where you said that the Tatmadaw became kind of the symbols or they became seen as the selfless defenders of national unity. And that's a quote from this This is an op-ed in The Washington Post, which is up on our website. Um, So. So how did that myth emerge, right, from from these this this kind of history? And mm-hmm. why did it crum- crumble then, right? So quickly after the coup yeah, I, on I February
1: think, 1st? Uh, uh, yeah, Elisa, again, on um on on this myth. Uh, uh you know there there was um the the myth wasn't simply groundless or baseless. Mm-hmm. It wasn't out created out of thin air, yeah? Uh, mm-hmm. it, the the myth the myth has some grounding in realities right when when you have uh, what we call multicolor insurgencies right I mm-hmm. mean in, in mm-hmm. it, I I don't now that uh, you know I, I have been uh, you know uh, uh, fairly informed about how things develop in, in the country over the last uh, you know 75 years or so mm-hmm. since independence mm-hmm. I would never use the word uh, rebels or insurgencies because
3: mm-hmm. it,
1: because it privileges uh, uh, essentially criminal genocidal states you know like you, yes. like uh, that yeah. I would I would not embrace states unproblematically so I don't I I I would i generally attempt to uh decenter the state in my uh, thoughts and uh, expressions mm. and mm-hmm. so but uh, yes, insurgencies. You know, we, you know, growing up, uh, you know, the insurgents were uh, people that we need to be afraid of. Mm. Uh, that they are lawless. They would burn houses. You know, they would loot. They would extort money. Yeah, that that kind mm-hmm. of uh, uh, national official uh, stories mm. uh, broadcast on radio. Uh, you know, the printed in the uh, newspapers and, you mm-hmm. know, the, the written in school textbooks. So it's a combination of, uh, you know, systematic and sustained uh, propaganda, uh, you know, as you would call it, uh, psychological warfare, mm-hmm. uh, you know, targeting the domestic population uh, th- to make sure that, the, the domestic population did not know why these people, insurgents, uh, were fighting. Yeah, mm-hmm. and also uh, they, they, the the military, uh, were portrayed themselves as you know guardians of the state. Uh, you know they are the ones who are keeping this you know multi-ethnic country with century uh, fugal. uh, together. Otherwise, you know, in those days that, you know, there was not yet uh, the process of balkanization, right? So the the balkanization took place only after the, you know, the the collapse of uh, the Yugoslavia in the Mm. mid-1990s. And so we don't, we did not have that uh, expression balkanization Mm -hmm. uh, in those days. I'm talking about 1950s and 60s and 70s. Yeah. Where the Tamdour was fighting uh, multi front wars uh, domestically civil mm. war uh you know against the communists that enjoyed uh, uh the the support from Beijing you know the Ma- Ma- mao and his government uh you know the, in terms mm. of arms money uh technology radio that kind of thing mm. and then we, we had uh, uh <clears throat> at, you know the non-communist ethnic groups that took up arms, but th- these groups did not take up arms uh, at the same time. They took up arms at different uh, periods in history when their specific group grievances were mm. not met either through negotiations or through parliamentary democratic system. Mm. And and so, so you know this if you the. 19 uh, in the 1950s uh, you know the, we would have uh, early ethnic rebellions maybe one or two yeah Rakhine uh, along the coastline um, and also the in the delta regions of Burma uh, the Korans you know, mm. uh, they 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 now run a Koran National Union the, basically one of the longest or oh, the oldest revolutionary groups in the world um, hmm. And also, like the, the, the what made these ethnic and communist rebellions, you know, possible was the Second World War, because uh, you know during the First World War, uh, you know, we were not a theater of war, uh, but in the Second World War, we were a major theater of war, uh, about twenty-five thousand. Japanese were, uh, you know, uh, 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 killed in Burma mm. by, uh, you know, allied forces and also a different ethnic group uh, who were groups who were armed by then. And also the stockpile of arms uh, left over from the Second World War. You know, it was. Uh, and so you, you we could say uh, that the Second World War never really ended in Burma. And so, the you know, we, the, mm. you know, the war ended in, um, I suppose, like, you know, in, in the spring of 1945 in Burma, but in the Asia Pacific, uh, the Second World War ended in August, uh, you know, 1945 after the two atomic bombs mm. uh, and, you know, followed by the <clears throat> unconditional surrender of Japan. Uh, you know, fast forward, you know, the, the 1947, 48 uh, that's like oh you know two and a half years after the war the the big war ended uh, uh but you know we we were already uh in the in the early days of the civil war, and mm-hmm. that has not uh ended you know mm-hmm. it's like the 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 war the civil war in Burma may not be in the headlines you know every day or every month or every year, but uh it it, it was you know. It was happen. It has been happening with fluctuating intensities. Yeah. Now mm-hmm. we are, we are in. We are. The war is going to be in the, uh, what you call it, high intensity. Because mm-hmm. uh, you know, th- you asked about how uh, this myth all of a sudden crumble, yeah. right? And and afford uh, for decades uh, this systematic and sustained. Burmese military propaganda, which started in the 1950s, you know, mid 50s, the uh, uh, resulted in this rather stable and, you know, societalized or popularized opinion of this institution as the honorable, you know, defender Mm. of the nation. And the Dumbledore calls itself the guardian of the nation and we are Mm -hmm. above the fray. We are, we don't do party politics, you know, like, uh, we, the, we are the only institution, uh, that, uh, pursues this selfless altruism and Mm -hmm. patriotism and nobody else. Right. And, and so that crumbles so quickly when the Thumbardal, uh, committed, um, uh, you know, essentially terroristic um, atrocities yeah. against the very own population from which it drew its support, recruits, yeah. and uh, legitimacy. Yeah. So basically, Tamato became a dog that bit the hand that feeds <laughs> it. Yeah. All yeah. of a sudden... Uh, this is no longer a little puppy that you want to keep in your living room or in your bedroom. You know, I have a dog here. the the the, my, the our dog uh, crawls in between me and my wife, and I have to fight him <laughs> to get. Uh, For space. And, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and so, um, so, so 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 be, it became a, uh, you know, the 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 tamador behavior, you know alienated uh the 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 dominant population uh in a way that can never be f- forgotten or forgiven hmm. yeah that is that is where uh you know that that is where the society is today that's why like you know uh, last last week i i think i may have mentioned uh the uh you know the, the i may have used the analogy of black lives matter yep. yeah it's a you know, like all you know, all of a sudden, uh, the, uh, both American and European footballers. I mean, you know, where football in in UK and Europe has a different, uh, it refers to a different game, right? Yes, soccer,
3: <laughs> soccer. Uh, right
1: uh, but you know, but in in in, in the US, like uh, you've got this uh, uh, the rugby type uh, football. But these footballers and and sportsmen and women today, they take the knee. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's not that, that taking a knee is a new symbol. Yeah, Mar- Martin Luther King, uh, Jr. and his uh, uh, you know co- uh, colleagues uh, t- took the knee. This is part of us, I guess, like Southern B- Baptist tradition of mm-hmm. some sort, you know, like uh, uh, the f- from little um, uh, what I know. But the, the taking the knee, uh, uh there has become such a, a powerful symbol of a shift and transform consciousness, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it happened, uh, you know, the, the, uh, as a result of, uh, you know, the, the George Floyd murder in mm-hmm. Minneapolis, as you well know, because you live there, yeah? And, uh, the, you know, the, the, the black men have been uh, killed and lynched publicly or legally uh, for, for the last 100 years or so, you know, uh, in the American South since the end of the slavery, but, uh, you know, all of a sudden, like, you know, this like, eight minutes and, you know, like uh, 50 seconds or however many long, mm. this black man was killed in this way. All of a sudden, it evaporated across the all formerly colonial white world, you know, from Portuguese, Portugal, yeah. Spain, you know, from Minneapolis all the way to UK. <laughs> You know, like uh, uh, Germany, France, everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. And, and around the world. And, and mm-hmm. you know, like, uh, uh, and so, you know, that kind of like uh, seismic uh, transformative shift, and it happened, or, you know, in the last, uh, let's just say 90 days, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, ed- the propaganda edifice that portrayed the Tamadot as the defender of the nation, mm. uh, the guardian of the nation or country, or you know, the guardian of the, uh, the protector of the religion, Buddhism, right? Uh, protector of the race, uh, Burmese race. All of, all of a sudden, that propaganda crumbled. It, mm. it, it is like Amazing. a Berlin Wall. Berlin Wall did not erode it. Berlin mm. Wall crumbled in yes. a single afternoon. You know, yeah, think about right. it. You know what I mean? It's true. They, they built it and kept it with snipers and electric wire fences and whatnot for like 30 years or 40 years. And then in a span of three or four hours, <laughs> yeah. like the, it the wall is gone. Yeah. It's, amazing. I mean? yeah, yeah. it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. And so, you know, uh, the, the, the same with the USSR crumbling. Mm-hmm. The same yeah. with apartheid. All of a sudden, mm-hmm. gone. Yeah, yeah it's gone and yeah. that's and, and and so so that's what happened with the the the, the glorified uh, notion of tamador as this defender of the nation uh it's gone it's it it, it vanished wow. it will it can never be restored hmm. it can never be restored you can hmm. never go back wow. you know well wow, that's uh, amazing
0: uh, yeah, Irene, you look like you have a question. Yeah. I have a question, well, too, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have a thought that I wanted. I'll bring
2: in the Rohingya a little bit, um, but we can go back if, if your question yes. is more related, Ellie. But I'm just thinking that this vanishing happened since February because, as you mentioned, the Tatmadaw attacked the majority, right? The majority of the, of the strong group of, of the Burmese people. However, it did not happen when it attacked the Rohingya right I mean there was not a general reaction against the tatmado in 2017 when the Rohingya suffered genocide so there is I mean still an embedded uh, discrimination uh, or exclusionist um, ideology in, in Myanmar right I mean this is I mean it's just more of a statement than a question but I, I would like maybe for you to comment on this a little bit
1: yeah. I think that the the Rohingya were constructed by the Tamadol Mm. Mm -hmm. uh, as various things. You know, Islamists uh, who would slice a piece of uh, Burma, uh, you know, adjacent to predominantly Muslim Bangladesh uh, Mm. or terrorists or that, uh, you know, the Rohingyas would... uh, you know overpopulate and uh, take over it's like a Palestinian-Israeli yeah, palestinian israeli situation right interesting, like yeah. you know it's like okay they're going to take over the west western uh, burmese state of rakhine hmm. or arakan hmm. because they procreate like rabbits yeah that's hmm. the kind of thing right uh, hmm. the propaganda so like yeah rohingya woman uh, would have eight children and the muslim hmm. man uh, allowed to have four wives, and so in a family, you know one Muslim man with four wives will procreate up to about 40 children, and that's going to like you know demographically overwhelm the local Buddhists, mm-hmm. whereas in fact the you know the the Rohingyas are always constantly outnumbered by mm-hmm. the Buddhists at, you know mm-hmm. uh, at the ratio of three to one yeah? right. The what? Yeah, uh, the, the the you know three <laughs> Buddhists reclined uh, is to one uh, Muslim Rohingya, right? And so, by the time the Rohingya persecution hit both national and international headlines, this will be mm-hmm. around two thousand right?
3: mm-hmm. and twelve, right?
1: The Rohingya persecution began, you know, as early as nineteen seventy eight, as as a uh, as a false The anti immigration or anti illegal immigration operation, right? But, you know, in all those years, that, that, you know, that nobody paid attention, that the the Burmese uh, military, uh, you know, did did, did not explicitly attack the Rohingya in the national uh, newspapers or anything. It's just they were portrayed as, like, oh, illegal illegal Muslims. Mm, Yeah. uh that's about it and so you know they didn't legitimize the name uh the rohingya by uh refuting it you, know, you could legitimize the name by opposing it <laughs> right uh, if, mm-hmm. in a contradictory mm-hmm. way mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh the by 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 2010 the burmese public majority i mean ethnic majority uh, that make up about, you know, I don't know, 60 to 70 percent, depending on who's counting, uh, of the total population. The By then, we have had at least 40, 40 50 years of, you know, resistance and opposition mm-hmm. against the military dominance, right? It, it is not like, you know, the... Uh, the 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 Burmese have been happy all along. You know, we <laughs> yeah. weren't happy, yeah. Mm-hmm. But but we we still think that there were some redeeming qualities in this institution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, uh, a, a few bad apples uh, mm-hmm. that you wow. know, became uh, the commander in chiefs. So therefore, the institution itself wasn't that bad. But if we remove the top generals, maybe the institution will redeem themselves so, or itself, right? The rank and file so that that was you know the, that kind of a uh, popular Russian ration, ra, uh, rationalization of mm. clinging to this tamador we could still work with it we could we mm-hmm. need to reform the tamador uh you know get rid of the top uh, bad apples right and 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 but uh, the, you know in all these like 50 years the the, the credibility of tamador and anything that they Pumped out as a matter of propaganda, uh, simply nose die. Hmm. And by 2010, remember, like the uh, we had Aung San Suu Kyi. Yeah. we have hmm. alter- alternative voices and alternative sets of uh, interpretations of events and history. So be- people were talking about human rights, democracy, no longer nationalism, and Tamador. Mm-hmm. So it, it was in that context, Tamador injected, uh, you know. Uh, a renewed version of uh, mm. racism as a popular virus you know mm. it, it is like a you know if, if you look at uh, the, the 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 burmese mind as mm. a, a laptop mm-hmm. you know that they, they released this uh, you know virus into mm-hmm. into this uh, mm-hmm. you know, mindset it infected uh, the, the 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 public yeah, it was the burmese public sure. mind was systematically poisoned mm-hmm. with this uh, anti rohingya yeah. racism mm-hmm. with the genocidal uh, elements yes. uh, mm-hmm. so that was the only thing that Tumador said the Burmese public believed in nothing else that, 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 mm. the the Burmese public believed you know everything the Burm- uh, the public uh, the the Tumador broadcast or published or circulate in 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 its uh, propaganda campaign mm. orally and and whatnot the public reject rejected yeah. Mm-hmm. But that it was the only thing, uh, the anti-Rohingya news, you know, the the uh, the Burmese bought into it, and mm-hmm. and but but I I think here I should say, this was also uh, something that uh, the Burmese public picked up from the international media, yeah, <laughs> uh, because the the international media. Has a you know unmistakable uh, anti-Muslim bias, right? If yeah. if, yep. if if a if a Muslim man knifes someone, he's a terrorist. If a white man killed five hundred yeah. people, he was a lone, yeah. L- wolf, lone wolf, problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. you know what I mean? And yeah, so it's, the, it's so, a cliche.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so so we've we've got this global phenomenon of Islamophobia, which yeah. you know is. <laughs> It's the same as anti-Semitism, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and uh, and so we Burmese uh, uh, also uh, feel that um, this is what's happening to them. Muslims are bad, yeah? mm-hmm. <laughs> <And> because <laughs> yeah. because uh, even even if we consider, you know, falsely, uh, uh, counterfactually, the Rohingyas were I- illegal migrants, right? Uh, There were also other illegal migrants in the country. Hmm. I, Hmm. I, I, you know, I don't I disagree strongly empirically with the view that Rohingyas were illegal migrants or recent migrants. But for the sake of the argument, uh, you know, they're also like, you know, uh, uh, Chinese from Yunnan province, southern province Hmm. coming in, you know, over one million.
3: Yeah? Right, uh, mm-hmm.
1: the, as, as traders and uh, workers and whatnot, because we also share one thousand four hundred miles long borders with China, and uh, we we only shared two hundred and seventy miles borders with Bangladesh. Yeah? Mm-hmm. and then so that you know, mathematically, it's just not possible. Yeah? but but, and uh, the the, the succeeded in one thing, that is, the the Tamadol painted western burmese border with bangladesh as western gate they presented this fortress analogy Mm -hmm. the gate of the fortress burma was broken Mm -hmm. from the bangladeshi side right and whereas in fact we have you know one 1,300 miles long borders with India and 1,400 miles long borders with China, and none of these areas were ever portrayed as gates. Yeah, and and the borders are porous until recently. The Chinese have built, a, a, you know, barbed wire fences over 1,000 miles already. Oh, yeah?
0: I didn't know that.
1: Yes, already on the border oh, with, with Myanmar. Myanmar.
0: Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah.
1: Like uh, you know, they're they're like a uh, concentration camp borders. Like at night, the oh, yeah. electricity they're electrified. Yeah?
3: Everybody's oh, building idea.
0: borders. It's horrible. Yeah, the whole exactly. world is exactly. becoming a world of borders, isn't it? I mean, actual physical walls. Horrible. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so the, the to Irena's question about uh you know the 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 the, the buy in. The, uh, mm-hmm. From the Burmese public into this uh, military propaganda, right? That that uh, was extremely effective. Uh, you know that was what mm-hmm. made uh, a textbook genocide possible. You know, I mean, I mean, you you both genocide scholars. Uh, mm-hmm. The 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 genocides are not just simply state crimes. It is state crime committed with societal support certainly you know, <laughs> this this, Always. Is, this is where yes. uh, the state and society interfaced and became just so mm-hmm. evil and 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 so now, what happened like you know what uh the, 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 uh, the uh, as Elisa pointed out uh you know the 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 this the vanishing of this national popular conception of this armed forces right. That was basically, you know, uh, this, the sharp and irreversible split mm-hmm. between this criminal society so far from the criminal state, right? Mm-hmm. So if we look at the genocide as a crime mm-hmm. that's committed uh, by, uh, you know, w- uh, by the state with full cooperation and support by the majority. Mm-hmm. Dominant public. Mm-hmm. There's no excuse mm-hmm. about, you know, the Burmese popular support. There's no rationalization. Exactly. Yeah. yeah? Mm-hmm. So they they were they were all uh, executioners. Right. <laughs> they mm-hmm. participated in it morally, orally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, literally. Right. Like in mm-hmm. the case of Buddhist requirements in the re- uh, in that mm-hmm. region. And so when the uh, <clears throat> what happened was. You know the the reverse of this vanishing of glorified mm-hmm. conception of Tambudur took place. That reverse the that is uh, the society all of a sudden woke up to the fact that uh, wait a minute we have been lied to. If hmm. this hmm. predominantly Buddhist and Burmese majority national armed armfuls were resorting to terrorism in broad daylight while there were millions of telephone cameras recording their actions imagine what this gang of soldiers would be doing or would have might have done to the rohingya right, right? Yeah. so so before mm. the society was like you know when when whoever when I say Rohingya, I interview Rohingya woman who survived mm-hmm. the rape or mm-hmm. witnessed rape and gang rape, people will laugh out laugh at me. Right? This is fake news. Yeah. And and anyone, That's
2: terrible. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Even Aung San Suu Kyi would dismiss any hmm. credible reports and documentations coming even from Geneva. You know the yeah. the in February. 19, sorry, 2017, uh, I believe. Uh, the uh, at the time, the chief, uh, the head of the UN Human Rights uh, uh, Commission, uh, the <clears throat> got on the phone with Aung San Suu Kyi and said, "Look, we have done few rapid assessment with about 250 Rohingya men and women." And and uh, you know a high percentage of them witnessed gang rape and rape and killing. Mm-hmm. And Suji said, "I don't believe it. I question your methodology, right?" <laughs> and then Aung San Suu Kyi's um, you know uh, the information office was running uh, huge banners saying fake rape. And then like you know the the, wow. the yeah the, the Rohingyas were portrayed as uh, burning their own homes uh, by the thousands <laughs> because they thought that UNHCR and UN would provide better lives in refugee camps than their poor agricultural uh, lives in Rakhine state. And so, the, the, you know, the popular uh, uh, the refusal was rooted in this. Yeah, right, these, these Muslims, they burn their own homes because they want better homes in Bangladesh. Right, mm-hmm. so that that kind of thing, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, was happening, and and all of a sudden they realized that, Rohingyas and the human rights community were telling the truth, and uh, yeah. the um, the the you know the, the Tamador had been lying them system lying to them systematically, right. and then like I said, you know, l- last time, because the, you know when you look at the uh, uh, genocidal situation. There were other, what I call, cluster crimes. You know, this is like things that happen. The crimes committed on a continuum. Yeah. So mm-hmm. they, look, they look at like insurgents and ethnic minority communities. So this, all of a sudden they realize, you know, the Korans and Shans and Mons and Kachins and other ethnic groups who have been saying, we have been subject to forced labor, summary executions, mass reb. Burning of villages, raping off our women, yeah. yeah and the, uh, all of a sudden the Burmese public decided that the victims were telling the truth yeah while they denied this truth for sixty years, seventy years. This is an extraordinary phenomena right yeah, really? because the, the 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 last straw uh the, with the the with the Burmese armed forces is. Their terroristic and sadistic behavior that you would find only in places like Auschwitz or Dachau, yeah, you, know, true. you would associate with Gestapo or SS or Kimpeitan. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. in broad daylight, mm-hmm. everyone's yeah. looking at what the Burmese Buddhist soldiers were doing to the Burmese Buddhists. They realized, wait a minute. They are not Burmese. They are not Buddhists. They are savages. They are mm-hmm. terrorists.
3: Right. So mm-hmm.
0: They're not our saviors. They're our enemies mm-hmm. that, all of a sudden. Yeah, I mean, this is really fascinating. And there certainly seems to be a lesson there for everyone, you know, which is that if, if, you know, any kind of... Um, Legalized force that can use that kind of brutality and atrocity in one space can use it in another space. People don't. People who commit exactly. those atrocities can't compartmentalize, you know. And in every genocide, um, even in the Third Reich, where it may look like the German population itself, uh, the non-Jewish German population. Was sitting pretty, you know. Um, no, even true. it's not true, right? Yeah. It's not yeah. true. They were mm-hmm. those bodies and those people were as instrumental to the leaders of the Third Reich as everybody else's. And the Third Reich just had different, or the Nazis just had different plans for each population group, each demographic group. But basically, your children, mm-hmm. if you were non 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 Jewish German in the Third Reich, your children belonged to the state, and the girls were supposed yeah. to become mothers of the future soldiers, and the boys were supposed to become soldiers and throw their bodies um you know at the rest of the world in this endless cycle of violence. So um so I think the lesson right that I see in Myanmar for everyone is that is that you can't you can't sort of um broker a democracy or a democratization movement in a, on a system that is committing genocide right. against certain yeah. populations. And that's one of the problems. I love the overlap that you're pointing out with the United States um, and, and our policing system in the United States. There's mm-hmm. so much more to, we can't get into it today, but there's so much more that we need to get into <laughs> with this question. Um, and and Zarni, I would love it if you would come back and we could get someone from maybe Black Lives Matter and you guys can kind of, you know, talk about these two, these two phenomena. But what I see, a similarity I see is that in the U.S. we're constantly trying to create a democracy within the context of these institutions um, that have, you know, a legal resort to force within our system that are highly anti-democratic, and not only that, committing atrocities like we saw with George Floyd. And you're right, George Floyd put, you know, into the public mind what's been going on forever, it just wasn't videotaped, do you know, and, and, and because everyone was at home, and everyone was because of the pandemic, and they were focusing on that one thing, even white Americans had to finally recognize Mm
2: -hmm. what black
0: Americans have known all along since the founding of this country, even before the founding of this country. Um, So I see, I, so one question I have, so yeah, I want to let you answer those ideas. Um, But one question I have is, is, you know, what is it about the Tatmadaw that this is one of the questions in the US, can we reform the police or are they unreformable because of the way they've been trained, right? Is it a training problem or is there something within the structure that that creates the training problem in the first place that needs to be addressed? So I'm wondering what is it about the Tatmadaw that has primed these soldiers to commit these atrocities against even what they may consider their own people? Do you know, is it the fact that they've all served in these kind of genocidal wars, for example, Against the Rohingya, or are they are they receiving like the SS, for example, special training um, in sadism?
1: Well, I think I think the you know it, uh, the, you know, certainly uh, intense propaganda. You know, the mm. the you know the, 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 the driven by the self-serving. Um, ideological justification right so like you know the, the in I mean as you both very well know uh, it's uh, humans simply do not kill humans uh, out of a uh, pleasure But the, uh, uh, the there's always a line that uh, the, 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 uh, you know the, uh, the soldiers or police or anyone armed uh, 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 cross when they take a pleasure in inflicting pain and uh, you know ultimately death on fellow humans, uh, that, that you know, the, the, from my perspective, and also based on um, what I've uh, heard, is that you know the the, the before soldiers or police. Could kill anyone, uh, much less uh, you know, uh, or, or torture them. Mm-hmm. Fellow humans, they are, they are a threat to your livelihood, a threat to your system, uh, a threat to your self-perception. Enemy, yeah. And so, the, when soldiers are sent to. Uh, <clears throat> and police and soldiers are often soldiers uh, wearing uh, Burmese police uniform uh, sent to neighborhoods they were told uh, that they are going to the front line because these are not just regular neighborhoods these are neighborhoods uh with uh, hostile elements uh, trained hmm. to fight hmm. uh there will be caches of weapons so there you need to basically you need to be uh, uh, you need to kill them preemptively before the, it, it is like you know, British uh, armed police have, having been, been instructed to aim for the head, uh, if, if 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 the situation gives mm. any reason to suspect that you know the person the target is the suicide bomber right before mm. he he or she could pull the detonator, uh, the then you've got to uh, you know de- 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 demobilize the person right. So the 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 fastest way to demobilize de- is Blow the brains out, right? Mm, yeah, and right. so th- this is a kind of, uh, you know, like operational propaganda, in mm-hmm. uh, you know, be- beyond institutionalized propaganda, which is we are the guardian of the nation, no one must take our place. Well, that's institutionalized one, but the in the operational propaganda is like, you know, like uh, the truth will be called, uh, you know, a few hours before, uh, you know, and. Uh, An operation is launched say like uh, you will be going to this place you're gonna see you know these people they look like a civilians they are not Mm. (laughs) you know and uh, that you need to kill them yeah Uh, do anything and then uh, do and also the you know the 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 impute you know why why would they why would well that's one explanation the other one is uh, do anything you want you know like uh, uh, there's no repercussion in other words every every soldier, every officer, however uh the low ranking or high ranking, is pr- uh, given blanket impunity, right
0: hmm. and uh, you
1: know, the you know rape, uh, summary execution, whatever, looting it,
0: hmm.
1: do anything, yeah as yeah. long as uh, you crushed uh, the, uh, the the, the rebel you know the re- rebellion yeah right. so from the soldier's perspective. There's no such thing as freedom of, you know, freedom of speech or the freedom of assembly. Yeah. Because uh, if if the commander in chief say this is against the law. Yeah. And, it, it, you know, OK, or you need to enforce the law from the soldier's perspective. We are simply carrying out the orders from the state. The state may be Nazi-like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And and so, you know, that's... Uh, that, you know, that, of course, like, that is, uh, you know, like a bureaucratic uh, uh, violence. But then, like, you know, when, when they started uh, uh, confronting pro- unarmed protesters, uh, taunting them, you know, like, or even if they're given rose petals or bouquets of flower, these guys are unmoved
3: mm-hmm. because
1: they are there for a single reason, which mm-hmm. is, you know, execute the order. You know oh. that order. Uh, you know the There are they use snipers, right? Snipers are uh, they're used in situations uh, like Afghanistan or other places, right? And uh, the, you don't use snipers uh, the, to go after civil rights uh, activists, mm-hmm. you know, like campers, mm-hmm. activists. But but that's precisely what, what they've been doing, yeah. And you don't you don't you don't kill. Pregnant woman point mm. blank or any woman point mm. blank. Yeah? And oh, you don't kill children. children who are playing the- yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so I, I, I think, um, you know, the, 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 can this institution be reformed? Uh, I have long argued that um, this institution cannot be reformed. And we need to accept that um, mm-hmm. some things are part of the problem. And they can never be part of the solution. you know mm-hmm, they, mm-hmm. It, it is so wrong to say that some things or some individuals are part of the problem, therefore they must be part of the solution. It is like patently false. That's a
3: good you know like, point. And so
1: for, from from a Burmese perspective, and I use the medical analogy, you know, uh, the, no oncologist would say cancer must be part of chemo. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, right. you, you see what I mean, mm-hmm. and and yeah. so that so we consider this institution as the cancer, the tumor, mm-hmm. yeah? and mm-hmm. that that needs to be removed. That they, it cannot be reformed. You know, like it's it's uh, the parallel institutions in history; they were never reformed. They are beyond reform. Yeah, yeah. and and one one of the reasons that I've long been marginalized uh, from international policy discussions is that. I say things that nobody wants to hear Mm. because uh, this is the institution that cannot be reformed. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the policymakers and analysts and others who are looking to work with an existing institution for their own strategic calculations or interests, commercial or military or geopolitics. So you can't tell them that, you know, your business partner or your diplomatic partner cannot be reformed. It's so evil and so fascist-like. And then they don't take your advice <laughs> on board <both> because, <laughs> because, they're you know, the, I'm talking about international policy. Yeah. That's, that's what happened, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then, the, you know, we focus on the tomato. I think, like, you know, both of you, I think, like, you know, the, 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 every single incident of international law-breaking whether it's crimes against humanity or war crimes or, 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 in the worst case scenario, genocide, as in Rohingya, when the international institutions and you know, uh, powerful actors give the criminal state and uh, you know, those who are in charge of that state a pass, you simply embolden them mm-hmm. to commit even graver crimes
3: always that is
1: the situation yeah. of burma today wow you know i mean i mean like this, this is like history repeating you know like you try to appease the um the criminal state you know it, it is like chamberlain <laughs> who flew to.
0: you know it, it's, it's like exactly george, like that
1: yeah 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 george w bush you yeah. know and and the putin and so i look i look into the eyes of this man and I found him to be credible. I found his soul. And <laughs> before you know, Putin was uh, poisoning everyone. <laughs> you know
0: what I mean? No, but it's yeah. quite true. And you know, wasn't there just an ASEAN meeting about Myanmar? Um, where they called on the, the military junta to step down and restore democracy. No, they, did, th- they,
1: they, did, not, they did not even,
0: they didn't even do uh, that.
1: characterize the, the, the nature of the regime. They did not mention the military coup. Hmm. You know, all they do was like, you know, this Trumpian, uh, you know, despicable, uh, you know, uh, uh, the uh, narrative, all sides, you know, like uh, must, sides. Seize violence all sides you know what i mean it's mm-hmm. like you know like it's like antifa anti-fascists were put on the same moral plane as like you know you know fascists and all the uh, violent rednecks you see what i mean yeah right it's terrible uh, yeah and uh, that's that's exactly the first line of the five point um ASEAN consensus so-called was that all sides will you know uh, you know immediately uh, cease violence you know it, it, it's as mm-hmm. if like you know I mean there's only one side that's doing all the killings and right. you know, executions yeah. and snipering and destruction and terrorizing yeah. right yeah. and then like and the, to put these two things on a moral plane you know on a uh, I mean it is just like you know completely dishonest and uh, indefensible, either morally or intellectually,
0: you know. Quite.
2: I have, Zani, I have a question that, well, I'm going to ask you to do a little bit of futurology, what I like to say, so what will happen, right? My my concern here is that the Tatmadaw is actually in power, right? It's, it's a force that is inflicting the savages like you Mm -hmm. said that is inflicting so much violence against the population but it's in control of the state in all of its powers right executive legislative judiciary etc and like in the us that you know we you had the murder of george floyd and many others But at least there is a room for justice, as we could see with the trial, right? There was a room for justice and hopefully, even if it's not justice, maybe just accountability, right? There was a room for accountability. And there is so much more to do. But at least there is that light where you could see that justice, as you mentioned, could be brought. The example that if you do this to another person, this will happen to you. Maybe it will happen to you. The problem with the Tatmadaw is that it's in power, and it controls the justice system. It controls the government. So what will happen? What do you think will happen? It still looks like a strong entity, unlike I'm thinking of the military regimes in Latin America that were losing so much power. So eventually, in Chile, they would have to call a referendum in the 90s, in 1990, actually. And, or in Argentina, where it ended up in a war to try to have the people's support, but the war was lost, so it lost all of the support. So I think it's the Tatmadaw is on that verge. It, certainly, it has lost the support of the majority. I'm sure a lot of people will still support the Tatmado as they're, they're afraid to recognize mm-hmm. that they've been complicit with the crimes they, the Tatmadaw committed. Yet, I don't see... a a clear future, well I'm not you know I'm not the oracle (laughs) but I don't see a clear future of what will happen Uh, do you uh, Zarni have an idea uh, about this or any any thoughts on what could happen in the next next couple of years right
1: yeah I I, I think uh, I would uh, I would argue point uh, you know uh, definitively Tamador is not in, Mm. in full control at all and, uh, okay. you know, like uh, the, hmm. you know, we are entering the end of the third month of demonst- uh, protest. Mm-hmm. It is unheard of that uh, the world still talks about this because usually uh, the, you would have a, a military coup and then there was, uh, you know, uh, the, the popular protest. And then that will be crushed bl- uh, mm-hmm. in, in a bloody crackdown. But that... You know that's what the Tamador tried, and, and it mm-hmm. worked in the past. Every single time there was an uprising, it had worked, except this time. Yeah, mm-hmm. and Tamador is not hmm. in control of the full, okay. full country. We've got you know about twenty two different uh, ethnic armed organizations with their uh, different territorial zones that they control. Uh, Tamador, uh, you know the the, mo- the morale of the troops. Uh, The 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 Tamador troops are extreme is extremely low Hmm. in some of the areas that they held uh, uh, Even despite their superior firepower Hmm. um, Some of the battles would last for like one hour and then troops would just disintegrate or surrender. Yeah Uh, So yeah, they don't fight Uh, and also the Tamador does not have a functioning state uh you know name every single profession a majority mm-hmm. of them refused refused to uh you know go to office yeah for the last three oh. uh, three weeks and also the private sector mm-hmm. you know like well we don't have trains running yeah because the the, oh. the train conductors mm-hmm. yeah no 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 they this don't want to like, mm-hmm. no no you know this this is they they you know they they were not as effective as Mussolini <laughs> at <laughs> least Mussolini could get the trains run on time and that they, they could not run a single train running yeah? <laughs> uh, get, uh um also you know doctors and nurses, teachers, yeah mm-hmm. no one's gonna work, and so they were trying to get everything um uh, up and running they wanted to, because that the, the the framing of the Tamador, you know I was one of the early ones who started saying. Mm-hmm. We must start to treat Dumbledore as a non-state actor because yeah. I start to like, you know, circulate this, uh, 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 the the framing Say this is this, you know, they're they're a terrorist group in national military uniform with an Air Force and a Navy. You know, it's mm-hmm. like the mm-hmm. first uh, ever in world's history with a <laughs> terrorist with the Air Force and the Navy. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so. Uh, the, they wanted to show that they are in charge. They wanted to show that they are strong, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, when they use all kinds of terroristic methods and people keep coming, people keep coming mm-hmm. back, mm-hmm. you know, uh, across the country, you kill people in four towns. You know, the next morning you wake up 20 other towns where like a uh, protest. You kill people on main avenues and people are protesting in small lanes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you kill people everywhere. People go online. And, you know, they do online virtual protest, flower protest. If people cannot mm-hmm. come to the take to the streets, they leave signs or, you know, four in the morning all over the city. That wow. Kind of thing, yeah? wow. And then, the, you know, that the, uh, the, also the society weaponized the culture. You know, here's the thing. Yeah. We have... Um, a new year in you know the, uh, about two weeks ago, and uh, the, the Burmese New Year's, whatever in the recorded history of Burmese culture and celebration, there was n- not a single year where entire society refused to celebrate New Year's. So, the, in the New Year day, towns and cities were deliberately. Turn into ghost town wow. you will not you will only see a few stray dogs crossing the street the uh, vast avenues in L- Yangon and other places uh, completely deserted mm-hmm. deliberately mm-hmm. yeah and and so I think the, the, the you know they the, what they're trying to do is to show that things are returning to normal because mm-hmm. they they start to realize that no one is going back to work so they're using incentives they are using coercion yeah and 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 banks are not functioning they are promising that you know banks Mm -hmm. will be running uh, next month uh, you know schools will reopen children will be uh, given free lunches Mm -hmm. and that kind of thing right and and also the um, you know, as I speak, there are, there are fightings going on in about like four or five different states, yeah. Hmm, yeah. And, and and every single place, every single battle, unless like they bring in air support, the ground troops are not fighting, they're wow. not fighting, they're not defending, yeah. yeah they, leave. they, they surrender. interesting. Yeah. And so I I I think what will happen? I think there the there are a number of scenarios, that none of them is good. Um, hmm. You know, the one is, uh, you know, China has invested so much, not just money, but uh, strategically yeah, in Burma. They built this uh, 800 kilometer long gas and oil twin pipeline. yeah, mm-hmm. and, and they consider that piece of, uh, you know, economic asset, uh, sovereign asset. Meaning, like uh, that, that pipeline is to provide uh, alternative source of energy security to the China uh, to China, yeah. because the China has, you know, the uh, until a, a few years ago, used uh, the South China Sea mm-hmm. uh, and it's, it's, uh, the Strait of Malacca, Me- you know, near Singapore, um, as the 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 sole transport route to bring oil from the Middle East now because they you know China fears that there will be some kind of a military confrontation with the United States in that part of the world so they've been trying to build an alternative security or uh, energy security route mm-hmm. and that is Burma yeah? hmm. and so the the, China, the they 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 View Burma as, a, as an integral component of its long-term grand strategy.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, wow. and, and, and Burma is not just a, you know a place of a pipeline. it is also one of two strategic access points into the Indian Ocean. yeah So the, the Chinese People's Liberation Navy. Wants to be world-class Navy. It cannot be a world-class blue water Navy Unless it can access both the Pacific and uh, Indian Ocean Hmm. So so Burma and Pakistan are two access points and then so so this has a major long-term implications for domestic politics because China will not accept any democratic regime or government in Burma or democratic system mm. in Burma. That is going to be hostile to or uncontrollable by Beijing. Yeah?
3: Mm-hmm. And,
1: and the Burmese public opinion is categorically anti-China. Hmm. Yeah? Um, not, not necessarily Chinese. We also have yeah. a lot of Chinese and you know, some of us make... Uh, you know, take pains to point out the need to separate, you know, like a, a, yeah. the, the hatred of China, Chinese mm-hmm. as a people, be sure the, you know, the resentment and hostility toward China, China as a political state. Yeah, right, mm-hmm. right. And uh, and so, the Burmese uh, also noticed that there are so many Chinese activists who have been killed. And so that that hmm. you know anti Chinese racism is is pretty much uh, you know uh, confronted when they realize that Chinese also give up their lives for freedom mm-hmm. of Burma and also you know that has also to do with the uh, the emergence of a, a new type of uh, you know, inclusive uh, society civil hmm. society hmm. in Burma and so but what what I want to say is China is going to make sure that um, a pliable political system stays in place. In the mm. event that the Burmese mm. military gets routed, they will also make sure that you know the the, the, the next government is answerable to China. Right? Mm. And and so sure you know the <laughs> I think the, the I think so far, Irena, I think like China is still betting on the military and its ability to crush this, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, revolution and stay on in power. In the event this military becomes seriously weakened, China holds the Trump card. It can come in and help find, uh, you know, uh, a least violent solution. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like uh, give the Burmese top generals sanctuary to in beijing or shanghai and yes. allowed allowed mm-hmm. this military to be dismantled mm-hmm. and uh, you know replaced with alternative structures of mm-hmm. um, organizations which the the civilian population is after and there are there are thousands of young uh, burmese young uh the training to fight hmm. you know in different yeah. areas and also the, uh, we also have uh, 20 different um, organizations. They are also looking into uh, integrating different organizations so that they can become a federal armed forces. So, so there are so Amazing. many things going on, and and and, and uh, to, to be honest, uh, no one can know with certainty. But but I, Certainly. You know, the, the, mm-hmm. I, I think for the next uh, five years, I mean, Burma is a toss-up. Yeah. Mm. Uh, it can mm-hmm. go anywhere. But, you know, all, all the options that you look at, uh, there are, you know, really good options.
0: Yeah. Yes. Well, in, is we, you know, we're running out of time and we don't want to take too much of your time. We, we are we, going to we, we, have he'll, Zarni he'll back. back. Absolutely. <laughs> <come> back. Yes. <laughs> I think I, I, we're going to make you a regular. <laughs> <laughs> was, yeah, we, if you, I, you have I, I time
1: don't, i don't i don't i don't know who is going to pay to listen to us <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, no it's I'm free it's free it's all free so <laughs> i was looking at the questions
2: and i say because you know they keep coming up when when yeah. you're talking and you know one has all these ideas and thoughts etc and I'm, I'm like we haven't even gone through half of them I know. and I'm i would sorry. love to talk a little bit more about the Ro- Ro- rohingya as me well me too yeah, yeah, we, we have
1: to have a special G- Gambia mm-hmm. Uh, the ICJ yeah. use, uh, use mm-hmm. of uh, this, like, you know, state defense.
0: The state defense yes. of the ICJ. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So we'll have to have, a, I think we should have a whole podcast with Zarni just on the Rohingya um, and, um, and the case, uh, right? The case. Yeah. Um, but before we go today, Zarni, are there ways in which since since uh, Myanmar or Burma is a toss up for the next five years and things are shifting very quickly, there is a civil society you've noted in, in Burma that that's that's um that's rising to the occasion. Right. And that has yeah, exactly. a different view. And it, it may be quashed by the Tatmadaw. It may be quashed by China. Mm-hmm. Right. It may be quashed by outside elements or internally. But what can our listeners do to support that civil society? Because in the end, it's it's that vision, civil society's vision of a more inclusive Burma uh, that could set the stage for a less violent and mm-hmm. uh, future and one more resilient towards the kinds of threats that have caused genocide in the past in Burma, right? That have kind of kept this genocidal cycle going. Um, so it's certainly in our interests um, to to support, right, the the initiatives of of civil society in Burma, um, which well, which I is mean, partially I... armed <laughs> right now, right? I mean, civil yeah. society sometimes has to become armed <laughs> in order to defend itself. That's right. Yeah. I mean, if if if
1: you know, like, no one would say only non resistance is acceptable when you are fighting a Nazi like regime mm-hmm. no one no one morally complained that mm-hmm. uh, polish partisans and french partisans exactly. took up arm um, against fascist United occupation
0: United mm-hmm. yeah. exactly so
1: why why should uh, you know the burmese people be forced to you know resort to only non violence you see what i mean mm-hmm. there's always yeah. limit to everything Right, mm-hmm. and so, uh, but, but I think yeah, I, 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 you know, I'm not I'm not here to advocate uh, support for uh, armed resistance. Uh, but I I would say, if you if you know there there are some concrete ways the Americans can help uh, mm-hmm. because uh, you know the, after all you uh, the 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 Americans have the the power as voters. Yeah? Uh, hmm. The, to enable this you know inclusive, non-racialist, non-bigoted uh, you know self-organizing civil society to grow, uh, you can either help it directly or you can help it indirectly. you know The, 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 you, the Americans can help weaken. The military Mm. that is holding or that is hell bent on crushing this flowering of a new type of society, right? Mm -hmm. They don't Mm -hmm. want people to get along, they don't want people uh, to look after each other because they want to be the guardian, right? Mm -hmm. So, so the the society no longer welcomes them. Mm -hmm. So, to help the civil society. To push this, you know, like fascist-like military out of power. Mm-hmm. Well, the Americans can basically tell the Biden administration, yeah, to, uh, you know, issue an executive order, uh, you know, sanctioning specifically one particular, you know, military control economic entity. It's oh. called myanmar gas and oil enterprise Mm. m-o-g-e yeah Mm. and and uh, you know the gas and oil you know brings in billions of dollars in income for the military and they use the money to feed the rank and file uh, that have morphed into terrorists uh so if biden Administration, can, you know, would do only one mm. thing. You know, a, a, in addition to what it has done, it has ba- it should uh, target this military control oil and gas sector, and that will put a stop to American right. corporations, particularly mm-hmm. Chevron. Yeah, mm-hmm. Chev- Chevron has given the Burmese military, millions of dollars in the last uh, four mm-hmm. or five, you know, for 10 years, millions and millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Right? And uh, and so that is what needs to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, turn off the gas. Yeah. And, and Chevron, if Chevron goes and uh, other uh, oil corporations will have to stop. And if the Americans That's target, great. target the oil and gas sector, Run by the Burmese military, that that would give a huge boost to the Burmese civil society, mm. yeah? because it's basically, you know, these petrol dollars are like oxygen to mm-hmm. to this cancer. Yeah, yeah. and you wow. need to you need to turn it off.
0: That's so great. great. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. That's so concrete. There were there were recently demonstrations, right? What was it? Yes. March six in April sixteenth, yeah, I think
1: in Washington DC mm-hmm. in front of Chevron, mm-hmm. uh, the you know DC office, and also, uh, you know, bipartisan group of uh, senators. Uh, I think like Ed uh, Murky was mm-hmm. the lead person, a senator uh, who wrote to Tony Blinkens, yeah, yeah, uh, the, the, yeah. to to mm-hmm. talk at this, and and then mm-hmm. yeah, the other one is, uh, you know, like a. a, a Biden administration declared, uh, 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 you know, Uyghur, China's persecution of Uyghur to be genocide, right? Yeah. Well, U.S. State Department, yeah. you know, back in starting in 2018 and 19, mm-hmm. you know, the State Department used a nearly $2 million field study with forensic experts from Latin America, you know, going to cox's bazaar mm-hmm. interviewing 1000 survivors mm-hmm. and uh, you know a bit ba- tony blinken has on its shelf mm. this ready made report yeah uh, he just needs to read it
3: mm-hmm. and say
1: mm-hmm. you know the the, the Rohingya genocide is so well documented. Mm-hmm, yeah? mm-hmm. Multiple studies, you know what I mean? Uh, the, the, uh, you know, it's including the Holocaust Museum. Yeah, yeah. The, the U.S. Holocaust Museum does not get involved in every single potential genocide case, but it has. And mm-hmm. it has pronounced this to be genocide. They're mm-hmm. like, so many Jewish organizations in the U.S. that says this is genocide. Yeah. yeah. So, so Blinken can you know declare mm. the Burmese military's persecution of Rohingya a genocide. Yeah. If if the Biden administration do two things, that would go a long way. For uh, the Burmese civil society, yeah, and there will be no repercussion, yeah. yeah and great. if 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 Aung San Suu Kyi were still in power, and the Burmese uh, civil society were still anti-genocide and genocidally anti-Rohingya and racist, mm-hmm. then maybe like you know, the the, the the you know Mitch McConnell and others who support Aung San Suu Kyi unconditionally mm-hmm. will say, well we cannot call this genocide because this will have impact on Aung San Suu Kyi and her ability mm. to steer the transition Well, she's in jail now right, right. <laughs> and then the burmese society is an entirely new yeah. type of society yeah. Yeah. that exactly. would welcome genocide declaration mm. or mm. designation yeah. Yeah. yeah that so i think that this the the, the biden administration is looking at an Ideal context mm-hmm. wherein it can take the credit moral credit and give the Burmese this political elixir yeah.
0: oh that's that's fantastic and for our listeners out there, um, we will include uh underneath this interview information on how to get more involved in the for example the efforts uh to to um to, to somehow uh, boycott the Myanmar Oil and Gas Enterprise (MOGE), as well as other ways to get involved, but but you heard it here. Um, we should pressure Americans can pressure the new president Joe Biden uh, to create a uh, an executive order to sanction MOGE and to recognize the Rohingya genocide as a case of genocide. So that's those are two very, very wonderful suggestions and very concrete actions that people can take right away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. and
2: I'd like to add... No, i just like to add that I like this concrete action. Well, the recognition of genocide, certainly, mm-hmm. but also this concrete action on the OGE, right? Um,
3: M-O-G-E. Sorry,
2: M-O-G-E, perfect. M-O-G-E, I'm sorry. Um, also, it directly harms the militaries and not the entire people. A lot of the exactly. economic sanctions put on on a country usually harm the people. So in this particular case, I, I very much appreciate that it's, it's concrete. It's not just sanctioning the state that will eventually directly sanction also the individuals. So, and maybe we can upload um, for those living outside the U.S., for our listeners living outside the U.S., upload a way to send direct letters to Biden. I don't know if that is possible. Mm. At least yeah, definitely. We can look into it. The world. Mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah,
0: definitely. It's a great idea. So we will do mm-hmm. that. We will, we will offer links to whatever we've been able to upload um, underneath this, this podcast. Wonderful. That's great thank you this was fantastic thank you so much zarni for this wonderful conversation again and um you know we're looking forward to having you back (laughs) as soon as possible
1: (laughs) Yeah, send me send me the link uh, (laughs) once it's uploaded and also the uh the page where people can uh, uh, click and send you know petitions to Mm -hmm. different politicians or you know targeting uh, the White House and also State Department will do. Okay. All right, I'm we going to forward- go. It's, yeah. <laughs> okay. Thanks so much, and so we'll we'll speak again.
0: Great, <laughs> thank you so much, Thank Arnie. you. you. <laughs> you. Bye <Bye-bye>. bye. <laughs> and to all of our listeners, thank you so much for sticking with us today. um I think it was a great podcast. What do you think, Irena?
2: Oh, it was just fantastic. I had so many questions. Me but, too. Uh,
0: unfortunately,
2: I, do, I didn't want to keep interrupting him all the time. <laughs> but we'll, we'll have him
0: back and eventually I'll remember the questions. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Write them down. And for our listeners out there who have questions for Zarni, we will be having him back. So please send us your questions. Um, It's easy to do, particularly if you go to our Patreon site. You could just go to Patreon and search for Anti-Genocide Coffee Break, a multinational podcast, and we'll pop up. And you could send us our question, your questions there, and we will make sure to ask him when he's next on our program. So we want to thank you so much for your support and for joining us today. Um, we hope that you will consider subscribing to our Patreon. All of our um, interviews are free, but... Uh, any subscription we're coming up with we're figuring out what kind of special things you can get other than a mug and a t-shirt and a sticker (laughs) if you subscribe to us Um, but all of the money from our subscriptions goes to supporting the work of the Iraq project for genocide prevention which we um, which we uh, direct together um, and which you know, it aims at creating a shared language of genocide prevention worldwide, including in Iraq and connecting people around the world who are facing genocide and fighting genocide to one another. And this podcast serves that interest. So any donations you make go to supporting the work Of our organization, and we appreciate them deeply, and we rely on them. So, we hope you will consider that. And in the meantime, have a wonderful week. Uh, Don't forget to join us next week with your coffee next Thursday, and we look forward to seeing you then. Bye Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you.